The Orioles almost completed an unbelievable comeback on Tuesday night, but they didn't. However, one of the reasons they had a chance to was because Mike Bauman was so good out of the bullpen again. So today we examine how has Bauman turned into a lockdown reliever? That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, April 26th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to break down a tough Orioles loss as their seven-game winning streak comes to an end, but they showed a lot of fight, almost, with a historic comeback in the ninth inning, which is the five things you need to know from that one. Then we'll take a look at Mike Bauman's season so far. Mike has been great so far this year and continued it in relief on Tuesday night. How has he done it and what changes has he made? And finally, a couple updates from the Orioles minor league ranks. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for the everydayers out there, thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen every single day of the week, whether you're listening, subscribing there, and downloading, or you're subscribed to the Locked on Orioles podcast on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the page. And thank you to the everydayers out there here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. So we jump in first to an Orioles loss. Haven't Really had a chance to talk about one of those in a while, which has uh, been pretty nice for the O's. But they do fall 8-6 to six to the Boston Red Sox on Tuesday night. It snaps the Orioles' seven-game winning streak, and the O's drop to 15-8 and eight on the season. I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 8-6 to six loss to the Red Sox. And the first thing you need to know is that Kyle Bradish was downright bad in his third start of the season on Tuesday night. And really, when you think about it, it was kind of his second true start of the year because his first start, he gets hit by a liner in the second inning and leaves the game. Then he throws six scoreless against the Nats last week. So really, this is his second full start. It was bad, bad, bad. Two and a third innings, seven runs, eight hits, one strikeout to four walks with a home run, 81 pitches for Bradish to only record seven outs. He did only allow six hard hit balls which isn't really that terrible when you're giving up eight hits, but it's not what you want. And first of all, it was kind of a weird pitch mix for Kyle Bradish on Tuesday night. Now, some of that could have to do with the fact that he kind of never settled into this game. Maybe he didn't have good feel for some of his pitches. But out of the 81 pitches that he threw, it was 10 sinkers, to 34 four-seamers. Now, this is something we talked about a lot on last year's podcast. The four-seamer for Kyle Bradish, despite the fact that his breaking balls are so good, his four-seamer run value-wise via StatCast was rated one of the worst pitches in all of baseball. He turned his season around when he added the sinker to his repertoire. So it's tough to see him throw 44 fastballs and 34 of them be the four-seamer and only 10 be the sinker. There's one problem. The other issue is his least used pitch was his slider, only nine of them. And again, his curveball is really good too. 
So I'm totally fine with him using the curveball. In fact, the curveball in some stats was actually a little better than the slider last year. But you got to throw more sliders and curveball. We saw it last year when Bradish went with more breaking balls than fastballs. He was incredible. And when he went heavy on the four-seamer, he got hit around. So I'm not sure what happens you know, in the middle of a start for Bradish, whether he misses early with some sliders and then kind of goes away from it or he doesn't have the feel or what it is. But the correlation is there. More four-seamers leads to more hits and more runs. And that is exactly what happened to Bradish. Now, he did get some bad luck. I mean, he gave up three runs in that third inning where all three batted balls that resulted in a run, two RBI singles and a sack fly, were all on just these little looping, soft-hit balls. All the pitches that were hit on those plays were actually outside the strike zone. It was kind of annoying to watch throughout that inning, some of the singles that the Red Sox were getting. However... You still need to get guys out and you still need to miss bats. And although Bradish got, you know, a few whiffs in this game, ended up with six and four on the curveball, not nearly enough to do what he needed to do against this Red Sox order. And then the third inning was just a disaster. Loads the bases, then the grand slam by Jaron Duran. Just what we thought basically put this game out of reach at 7 nothing. And for Bradish, it's kind of odd because he made his major league debut against the Red Sox last year and pitched fairly well, but three of his worst starts, you could argue his three worst starts in the big leagues have all come against Boston. Now the other two both came at Fenway Park. This is the first one that came at Camden Yards, but maybe let's try to avoid Bradish pitching against the Red Sox for a little bit because it does not seem to go well. Second thing you need to know from this one is that despite being down seven, nothing in the third inning, the Orioles almost fought all the way back in the ninth inning of this game. This was not a good offensive performance for a while from the Orioles, quite frankly. It was um, it was kind of a stinker for most of this game. I mean, they weren't hitting. They were getting kind of dominated by Corey Kluber, who they had pretty beat up on opening day. Kluber had an 8-plus ERA coming in, and he goes six innings, allowing just one run. And it's it's 8-1 to one going to the bottom of the ninth, and you're thinking, all right, they're going to roll over. This is probably the biggest stinker of the year. And then all of a sudden, it's not. Because Gunnar Henderson goes yard. We'll talk about him in a bit. And they get three singles, and all of a sudden, the bases are loaded. And then, wouldn't you know it, here comes Cedric Mullins. And all of a sudden, he's got a grand slam, hits a liner into the flag court in right field. And it's 8-6, to six, and there's only one out in the inning. It was Caleb Ort, who is not very good, who came in for Boston to try and hold a seven-run lead. Couldn't do it. So Boston has to go to Kenley Jansen. And Jansen did retire Rutschman and Santander. You know, never allowed the tying run to come to the plate. And the Red Sox win it 8-6. to six. But Rutschman and Santander both squared up Kenley Jansen. Both had hard-hit balls against him. Rutschman was a sharp ground ball up the middle. Thought we had banned the shift. Apparently not. That was an out. And then Santander roped a liner to right. Unfortunately, right at Verdugo to end the game. But even to just get Kenley Jansen into that game, when he never should have pitched in that game, if the Red Sox have to use Jansen tonight, well, now they'll have to use him on a back-to-back instead of him being fully rested. And that can certainly help you moving forward. It was awesome to see this Orioles team continue to put in fight. And that game was not fun until the bottom of the ninth when things... uh, Things did get a little fun for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one is that Austin Hayes left with an injury for the Orioles. 
I don't know if it's serious. X-rays were negative. Hayes in the fourth inning tried to square to bunt and took the pitch basically off the handle of the bat. Turns out it may have hit him flush on the fingers. He stayed in the game, finished the at-bat, and flied out. And then Taron Vavra replaced him in left field in the next defensive half inning. Again, x-rays were negative, but the Orioles said, you know, he's going to get further testing and they're going to look at his hand further. He had a hand issue last year when he got his hand stepped on last May, and that bothered him for a while. Yeah, it's not really his fault, this injury once again. But again, you know, trying to bunt down 7 nothing. I get you want base runners, but, you know, not perfect form if you're getting hit on the fingers. It's just another injury for Austin Hayes. And this could be a very mild thing. You know, it could keep him out for two days and he could be back in the lineup. But those fingers, you know, whether you're playing the outfield or hitting, it's going to bother you throughout the year, at least for a little bit, even if you don't go on the IL. And with another hot start to the year for Austin Hayes, it's just another thing to add to that injury list for him. I mean, he's got an 883 OPS. He's hitting 301 and he has to leave with another injury. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, all is good for Hayes. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Gunnar Henderson had maybe his most promising day at the plate on the season for the Orioles. Henderson goes two for four with that solo home run in the ninth inning. He also had a single earlier in the game. He had three hard hit balls out of his four plate appearances, which is super good for Gunnar Henderson because he hasn't really been squaring the ball up too, too much this year. He had a fly out in the second inning that was 98 off the bat, hit at 379 feet. That's a home run in some ballparks. Then he has a sharp hit single, 104 off the bat in the fourth. Soft ground out in the sixth, but comes back with the home run to lead off the ninth. 104.6 miles per hour, 401 feet to left center field. Just sneaks into the Oriole bullpen for his second homer of the year. And the big thing for Henderson, what has always set him apart, is that opposite field power. The ability to rope the ball, not just into the gaps, but over the fence to the opposite field. His first homer of the year in Texas was a screamer to the opposite field. His second homer, also a screamer to the opposite field. His swing looked good in this game. Hopefully this one, despite it being an Orioles loss, is the turnaround for Gunnar Henderson. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that the Orioles... Maybe their shakiest two relievers each had good outings in this game, which is a huge success for the Orioles. Now, varying levels of good outings. Austin Voth, who after Mike Bauman pitched two and two-thirds, came into this game and threw three innings out of the Orioles' bullpen, allowing one run on two hits with two Ks and no walks, throwing 44 pitches. Now, was he amazing? No. Was he good? Yes. And did he save the Orioles' bullpen? Yes, he did, because the O's do not have an off day for a while. And it was huge to get three innings out of both in this game. He got four whiffs. He threw a lot of curveballs. 19 of his 44 pitches were curveballs. It was his most used pitch. The cutter was pretty good on the day as well. The four-seamer was okay, but it was more about his off-speed stuff. The spin rates looked good on that curveball, as they always do. And he looked a lot closer to the 2022 Orioles version of Austin Voth. Then the Orioles turned it over to CNL Perez in an 8-1 to game in the top of the ninth. Perez didn't look great, I gotta tell you, but he did put up a zero, and that's at least good for the confidence. He once again only got one whiff on four swings. It's concerning. He did allow two hard-hit balls. It's still concerning, but a zero is a zero, and hopefully a baby step forward for CNL Perez. But the other reliever who pitched well 
in this game for the Orioles was Mike Bauman, who I would argue even did a better job of saving the bullpen moving forward than Austin Voth did because Bauman came in in the third inning for Kyle Bradish and got this thing all the way through five innings going two and two thirds scoreless. That lowered Bauman's ERA on the season to 0.64. This Mike Bauman transition to a reliever is going perfectly for the Orioles. But coming up next, I'll try to break down why exactly it's going so well and what little adjustments Bauman may have made or what changes have happened to make him so dominant as a reliever for the Orioles. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by So Rare. So Rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace, transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. And unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. And the game week contests happen twice a week, and if you rank near the top, you can win awesome prizes like game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. So head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E dot com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet, up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. Now, Orioles and Red Sox coming up tonight. There's usually a lot of runs scored between these two teams, so you might think about betting the over, but I would actually take the under in this game because Tyler Wells is going to the mound for the Orioles, and he's been good lately, and he can pitch deep into games, and I think he can keep this Red Sox lineup off balance. Tanner Houck has some nasty stuff for Boston. I'd go under in the O's and the Sox. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet, up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. So the Orioles fall to the Boston Red Sox 8-6 on Tuesday night, snapping their seven-game winning streak and evening this three-game series at one game apiece. It will be the rubber match here on Wednesday. little day game action for the O's and the Sox on getaway day for both teams to finish off this series. But wanted to turn the attention to one of the bright spots for the Orioles despite the loss on Tuesday night. And that is Mike Bauman, who I was once again just so impressed with in this game. Now, Bauman came in and pitched in a little bit of a different role Tuesday that he's been given by the Orioles so far this year. Kyle Bradish, as we talked about, was terrible. Got only seven outs, goes two and a third innings, gives up a grand slam, gets an out, walks a batter, comes out of the game. So Mike Bauman has to come in with one out in the third. The Orioles trailing 7 nothing. They don't have a lot of off days coming up soon. And Bauman, who's mostly pitched one inning stints this year, 
has to kind of bridge the gap in the bullpen, and he does just that. Mike Bauman with two and two-thirds innings of work, no runs on one hit with two strikeouts and no walks. It took him just 32 pitches to get to two and two-thirds. Five hard-hit balls against him isn't great, but he did his job. His ERA is now down to 0.64 on the season. And for Bauman, it was the stuff that has just continued to work for him all year. Good knuckle curve, good fastball velocity, you know, throwing that by guys, throwing it in the zone, mixing all four pitches. We actually saw more change-ups tonight from Mike Bauman than we've really seen from him all year. So that was a little bit of an interesting mix-up for Bauman. We saw five of his 32 pitches were change-ups on the night when he had only thrown nine change-ups all season coming into this game. But it all comes together just to show that Mike Bauman is a different pitcher as a full-time reliever than he was as a starter over the last, really, year, and, and including the last couple of years when you include the minors as well, for the Orioles. And the stuff has just been absolutely ridiculous. Bauman's stats now on the season in 10 relief appearances. Again, he's got that 0.64 ERA. 14 innings, one run, seven hits, 13 strikeouts to just five walks. And that one run came against the Red Sox back on April 2nd. Since then, Bauman has eight consecutive scoreless appearances. That is pretty good. That spans 11 and a third innings scoreless consecutively for Mike Bauman. So the question is, how is he doing it? Because he had his moments as a starter and as a long reliever last season for the Orioles, but he never quite put it together. I mean, last season, 34 and a third innings in the big leagues, 472 ERA, 43 hits, you know, 23 strikeouts to nine walks. It was a 1.5 whip. That was a 0.86 whip. What is the difference? Well, it's kind of simple. It's not like a crazy, intricate change that Bauman made. For a lot of pitchers, their stuff just plays up when they move from a starter to a reliever. They have to worry about throwing less pitches. They can do more high-effort pitches, and they can focus more on the stuff that really works for them. Well, Bauman's four-seam fastball and his curveball, which has been... His two main pitches at times, especially in the minors, they just got better. The interesting part is for Mike Bauman, usually when you see guys go from a starter to a reliever, you see a tick up in the fastball velocity, and that helps it. That hasn't been the case for Bauman. In fact, we've seen a small decrease in his fastball velocity, averaging 95.8 on the four-seamer last year, averaging 95.6 on the four-seamer this year. But the difference is the quality of the pitch. The spin rate's a little higher. He's got a little more vertical movement on that pitch this year, which basically means he gets that kind of quote-unquote rise on his fastball. It just drops less, and when you throw it from over the top, it seems like it rises to batters, especially when you throw it up in the zone. And that's what he's doing. If you look at the charts for Mike Bauman, for when he's throwing his fastball with two strikes... Basically, every single one is at the top or above the top of the zone. And he's getting a lot more swings and misses on that pitch when he throws it up there. His whiff rate went from 14 to 22% on that pitch this year. And he's getting guys to chase it up and out of the zone as well. Chase rate up from 31 to 39% on Bauman's four-seam fastball. That is good. That is how you know it is playing a little better this year. 
Now, it still hasn't exactly been his strikeout pitch. Only three of his strikeouts this year so far have come off that four-seam fastball. However, he's still getting swings and misses in other counts, and he's getting more called strikes than ever before with the four-seamer. So he's getting a little more rise, a little more spin, and it's paying off. Bauman threw his four-seamer about 48% of the time last year. This year, he's throwing it about 52% of the time, so throwing it even a little more. Opponents hit 375 with a 516 slugging percentage against Bauman's four-seam fastball last year. It was not a good pitch. Those are not good numbers against that thing. It was something that got hit around pretty well. This year, opponents have just one hit against his four-seamer. They're hitting 077 with an 077 slug because the only hit is a single against Bauman's four-seam fastball this year. That thing has been different, and it's paying off. And then you move to the curveball, which is the other pitch, which just kind of started to play up since he moved to the bullpen. Last year, he threw more sliders than curveballs. It was about 29% sliders and 19% curveballs. This year, it's kind of flipped. 25% curveballs, only 18% sliders. He's going to the curveball more. That was kind of his go-to breaking pitch in the minors, that hammer curveball. It's back for him. That pitch is nasty. The curveball this year for Bauman, again, has only allowed one hit on the curve. It's a single, a 100 batting average against that pitch, and a 39% whiff rate, which means when guys are swinging at the curveball, they swing and miss 39% of the time. They only swung and missed 13% of the time at the curveball last year. He has tripled his whiff rate on that pitch just because it's better out of the bullpen. He's up the spin rate. He's up the break on that pitch. It's getting better and better, and it is getting swings and misses. And he hasn't gone away from the slider. He's still using it, but the slider has not been his best pitch this year. So he's going to that curveball, and the curveball, which guys hit 333 against and slugged 500 against last year, again, just hitting 100 and slugging 100 this year. Mike Bauman just kind of looks like a different pitcher. I mean, he has yet to allow, at this point this season, an extra base hit. He has yet to allow an extra base hit in 14 innings. That's pretty impressive. And again, these are small sample sizes. If Bauman were a starter, this would be, you know, two or three starts worth. Instead, it's 10 outings worth when you turn into a reliever. But we saw a little more of the starter stuff because he had to be a long reliever on Tuesday night and pitched two and two-thirds. And he's just been different. And when you look at the mechanical stuff, he's fairly similar. He's got a little bit of kind of a lower release point when he throws that pitch from the right side. He gets more extension towards home plate, which means he's releasing the ball a little bit closer to home, which is always good. More extension generally means a better pitcher. And he's just missing more bats. I mean, you look at his whiff rate on all of his pitches are up. He wasn't really getting enough swings and misses last year. Now he is getting them. He's throwing more quality pitches in the zone. I mentioned he's not throwing the changeup as much, although he did bring it back a little bit on Tuesday night, so it's still in his repertoire. And he's just kind of got an attack plan. It's when he gets to two strikes, and he's throwing more strikes to get to two strikes, fastball up, curveball down. It's simple, but it's been effective for Mike Bauman. And as he pitches more, we'll get to dive more and more into the data to get more and more answers about why he's been good. But right now, he's going to make a decision for the Orioles' bullpen when Dylan Tate and Michael Givens come back. 
he's going to make a decision very, very difficult because he is pitching extremely well. He can still give you length. You cannot send Mike Bauman back to the minors right now. But of course, somebody's got to go down when Dylan Tate comes back. And Tate took his first step in coming back to the big leagues with his first rehab outing on Tuesday night. We'll talk about how that went, plus some other highlights from the Orioles minor leagues on Tuesday. That's coming up after this. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Ultimate Baseball GM. One of the coolest games I've played on my phone in a very long time. Right in your pocket, you pull out the game, it's free to download, you can play it offline, play on the go, doesn't drain your battery, and you basically get to be a major league GM. And you get to learn, it's a very hard job. You can go in there, you manage your staff, your finances, hiring coaches, scouting, drafting players, managing personalities and injuries, navigating through free agency and the trade deadline and the draft. You do it all. And it's a challenging and realistic game world. This is a great game to play on the go. And you can compete with your friends, compete with other Orioles fans. I'm competing right now with other Locked On MLB hosts. It's not going well for me. But Locked On Orioles listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So just make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probaseballgm.com. Scan the code right here or look it up on the app stores. That's probaseballgm.com. Ultimate Baseball GM. Start your dynasty today. So despite Mike Bauman's best efforts and the Orioles come back in the ninth, they fall a little short, losing to the Red Sox 8-6 on Tuesday, and there goes the seven-game winning streak. But the O's still playing great baseball, and they're going to get some reinforcements here soon because as we learned last week, Dylan Tate and hopefully a little later this week, Michael Givens would be starting their rehab appearances. The two Orioles veteran relievers who both started the year on the injured list, they are back to throwing. Tate, who's had forearm and elbow issues throughout the offseason, I was worried he was going to have to get Tommy John. But instead, he pitched Tuesday night and he remained healthy. He joined High A Aberdeen this week. They are up in Wilmington. Made his debut in the fifth inning of Tuesday night's game. Threw an inning, two hits, one run, two Ks and no walks. Started it out with a ground ball to shortstop that was fielded cleanly by one Jackson Holiday, who was making his High A debut. Then gave up back-to-back doubles. Of course, one scoring a run, but locked back in and went quick strikeout, strikeout on seven pitches to finish up the fifth inning. It was just a one-inning outing for Tate. Most of them will be on his rehab assignment He probably won't pitch back-to-back days for a little bit, so expect to see him maybe Thursday or Friday pitch again. But Tate and the Orioles did say he would like to get five or six rehab outings, probably mostly in Aberdeen and Bowie, before he comes back to the bigs. So it's going to be a couple more weeks, but a good start for Dylan Tate. Now, Wilmington does not have a broadcast, so we didn't get to see it. We also didn't get velocities or spin rates or anything, so we're kind of living in the dark. But a couple of strikeouts, clean inning, stay healthy. Sounds good to me for Dylan Tate's first rehab appearance. But he still wasn't the star of the Aberdeen Ironbirds 7-3 loss on Tuesday night because Jackson Holiday, as I mentioned, made his high A debut. The Orioles promoting him from Delmarva where he was basically hitting 400 for the Shorebirds and he goes up to high A. And in his high A debut, does go 0-3, but in classic Jackson Holiday fashion, two walks for Holiday in his Ironbirds debut. So did want to jump around the minors just a little bit more before the podcast finishes up today. 
Jordan Westberg had a grand slam for Norfolk. Colton Kowser also hit another home run in the Tides win. They are just dominating right now. Cesar Prieto in double-A Bowie. The Bay Sox lost 4-2, to two, but Prieto went 2-4. for four. Cesar Prieto, in a few weeks now, like the sample size is getting bigger, is hitting 403. This is the kind of stuff Cesar Prieto did when he was playing professionally in Cuba. High average, not a lot of power, but no walks, no strikeouts, just putting the ball in play and hitting almost 400. That's fun to see. And then Samuel Basayo in the Shorebirds 5-0 loss on Tuesday. Didn't do a lot offensively, but the 18-year-old catcher threw out two different base runners at second base, which was awesome to see. Great piece in the Baltimore Banner this week from John Mioli about Samuel Basayo and how he could really shoot up the Orioles system this year. He is a fun prospect to watch. And I think Basayo could be the first international signing by Mike Elias to have an impact at the major league level, a significant impact, a couple years down the line. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Orioles and Red Sox, one more time. They do it this afternoon, a 1.05 p.m. Eastern time start between the O's and the Sox. Tanner Houck, the kind of sidewinding righty, goes for Boston. He's got a 4.29 ERA on the season so far. Houck, in his last start for the Red Sox, was solid. He's kind of been solid Throughout the year this year, nothing amazing, nothing terrible, but seven innings, three runs. That's a pretty good start against the Twins for Tanner Houck. The Orioles have seen him before. He's got some nasty stuff. They got to him a little bit, though, in that third game of the year back on April 2nd. He went five innings, three runs, five hits, two homers, five Ks, and a walk against Baltimore. He will face off with Tyler Wells, who was dominant in his last start for the Orioles, a career-high seven scoreless innings for Wells his last time out against Detroit. It'll be his first outing against Boston this year as the Orioles will go for the series win. And I'll be back with you here tomorrow recapping game three of the series and getting you ready for a four-game set between the Orioles and the Tigers once again, this time in Detroit that starts on Thursday. No podcast this week on Friday. I'm actually headed out of town for a bit, so no podcast Friday. So you'll get your Thursday episode, then you'll get a Monday episode recapping the entire four-game series between the Orioles and the Tigers. But again, I am back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.